I have tears right now. You know why you're crying about this podcast? The emotional electric chair. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Internet? You're listening to Episode 9 of the Series 6 Podcast, where we review each and every episode of Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers! We are your hosts. I'm RD. I'm Jay. And I'm Rabbi Bob. Get ready to engage your hyperdrives. This time around, we'll be reviewing the ninth episode, titled One Million Emotions. But before getting into that, let's talk to Rabbi Bob a little bit. Say hi, Rabbi Bob. Take a bow. Hi. <laughs> that was like the most so timid bow ever. Hello. Hello. Picture your face popping up on the side of my screen. <laughs> like the toasty guy on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> okay. Anybody who's ever listened to Series 6 has heard Rabbi Bob's name mentioned. He's helped us a great deal as far as providing us with invaluable resources. From his vast knowledge of the brand to his stitched images. To the nudge in our direction he's given to some of the show's creators, Rabbi Bob has proven to be a great friend to Series 6, and we're grateful. Ever so. So, um, first of all, let me ask about your name. Are you an actual rabbi? And is your name Bob? My name is not Bob. and No, I'm not actually a rabbi. <laughs> um, so your name is a lie. <laughs> my name is a lie. Wait a minute, are we in trouble for this? No, no, no. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had this thing since high school. Okay. We had a uh, Volkswagen Rabbit. We broke the T off the off the rabbit, oh. and that became the rabbi. Okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. That is awesome. Oh man, our D's was what was yours, man? You should have just called yours Toast, um, Burnt Toast. Just yeah, it was it was a Toyota Tercel. <laughs> it was so he painted it matte black himself before matte black was cool. <laughs> nice. So, That's right. So, so my car was not cool. Let's just say that <laughs> it was burnt. <laughs> So it looked burnt. It was hilarious. Okay, so Rabbi Bob, you used to run a website called betamountain.org. What was the genesis of that? Uh, it really came about. So we had a, a bunch of uh, individuals on, online that were had gotten together, uh, mostly the evil writing crew. And uh, we were kind of looking for the place to put all this Galaxy Ranger information together. Uh, it was a great place to kind of just get uh, some of the character guides going and episode guides. And from that, we were able to kind of nurture a relationship that reached out to some of the series creators, writers, um, from Robert Mandel himself, uh, Christopher Riley, Dan Fiorella. Um, shout out to Dan, who's, who's still out there on Twitter communicating with us. Um, but it was really just kind of that place on the Internet to bring everybody to, to, to kind of enjoy Galaxy Rangers back in the day. Awesome, man. You said Evil Writers. Wait, wait, wait. I want to go back to the name. The Evil Writers Club? <laughs> uh, EWC, the Evil Writers Club. Was it the Guild? It might have been the Guild. It's been so long. But there was a Lady Nico, Brunhilde, Fatima, um, uh, Tara, who you mentioned last episode. Yes. Uh, she was in that as well, yep. too. So this is kind of the, the collective place that everybody got together and put their, their stuff into. Okay. And now that's Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the internet has moved on. So you've interacted with um, many of the people that were creatively involved with uh, Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers. Could you tell us about um, some of your more memorable interactions with them, like standout moments? Probably the biggest moment, I, I, um, I live up here in Maine, and uh, Christopher Rowley, who's, who's one of the lead writers for the show, was up here, and just through exchanges on, on the internet, we found a place to, to meet up, and uh, I had lunch with Christopher, which was great. Christopher was an amazing writer before he joined the show. Um, with a lot of lot of books and different genres, 
And it was really neat to meet somebody that, you know, kind of spanned uh, science fiction to fantasy and then, you know, the Galaxy Rangers, of course. So that, that really stood out. Awesome, man. So there have been uh, rumors of maybe a reboot of the show. Do you have any inside info? Any outside info? Any info at all, really? <laughs> I have nothing. In fact, uh, that, that, that's interesting, too, because I've been since you guys started the podcast, I've kind of lit the fire back under myself to uh, to get out and kind of look around. So um, I haven't seen any new information. I, I just found a clip that I posted to Twitter tonight that was somebody's, uh, it looks like their school project, which was kind of cool. I saw that. It was pretty yeah. good. Wasn't that neat? Yeah, it was. But nothing that's, uh, that seems solid like a series reboot or anything like that yet. So uh, that, that would be quite the hurdle to, you know, they, they set the bar pretty high with the original series too. So a reboot would have to be, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. It would have to be top notch. Oh, right. man, yeah. Well, it better be. <laughs> like the second season of Science Ninja Gotcha Man or G-Force as it was here. Remember that, RD? Yeah, I remember. The second season, you're like, what? <laughs> What the, what the what? Eyes on vehicles and stuff. It went through. I have no idea why. Stupid toy sales. I just. Was it like what they did with Voltron where they brought the lines back for like the third season, but it was like uh, American written and poorly animated and stuff? Nah, man. Worse. Oh. It just, I mean, they like lost all the really cool vehicles and G-Force. The second season, they just totally screwed it up. Yeah, it's where the Phoenix was like patriotic color. It was patriotic. It looked like a real bird now. Just made me mad, dude. So. Like the OVA came out, then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Yes, I have the OVA. Very happy with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. So you mentioned Voltron. No one talks about the vehicle Voltron ever. It's always the Lions. Yeah. That's true. I mean, Dioruga was cool, but it just didn't have the same feel as the Lions. Yeah, the Lions was more all action and stuff like that, but the uh, the vehicles seemed to be more, you know, the exploration side of things. Yeah. It was very sci-fi-ish. Yeah. And That's true. I guess I understand why it ended the way it did, but uh, that was something that I always wanted to explore more than, than the Lions. Did they do like a crossover where the two of them met? I think they met, but it was like, you know, through, through like a foggy scene or something like that. I'll have to go look that up after. They actually met and had a whole adventure together. It was a movie. Yeah. They did a movie where the two Voltrons meet. Nice. And fight side by side. But it wasn't a very good production. I think they ran out of budget like two-thirds of the way through. So the finale sucked. <laughs> it was very um, unclimactic. Right. Gotcha. Cool. Okay, I'll, I'll look that up on other time. Then. I think we should say this. You know what, guys? If you're trying to do a remake of that one, what is it called? Die Roker or whatever. Matchbox. Mm-hmm. Just leave it alone. Don't make another one. Well, no, if they Netflix Die Rugger, I'd be really happy with that. You sure about that, man? I would like to see a vehicle Voltron done modern, sure. You know what? If Netflix decide they want to do Saber Rider, I'd be interested because Saber Rider was hokey as all get out. It was still kind of fun. Yeah. All right. So I have a topic, guys. Yep. I recently saw a video of some new toy. It's a cute little stuffed bunny whose face becomes demonic. Like when you squeeze it or something? Oh, yeah. God, it's a whole bunch of them, man. Not just the bunny. This particular video, it's a parent demonstrating the toy on her toddler. Uh, I mean, questionable parenting at best. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the child is obviously frightened to tears. Right. The creepy bunny toy did its job, right? Right. But that's what this toy is designed to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's creepy by design. Yeah. This brings me to my question. Can you guys name a toy that was unintentionally creepy? Like a real world toy, mm-hmm. not ones from scary fiction like Chucky or Talky Tina, but uh, a toy that you could actually go in a store and innocently enough buy for a child and it would ruin their life. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple. I got two, actually. <laughs> Do they have to be scary or just crappy toys? <laughs> just... 
<laughs> scary crappy. Like creepy scary toys. Creepy scary toys. Oh man. Um uh, you start man. I got one that probably not as creepy. Do you have one right by Bob? Yeah, I've got one. Okay. Hit me. Yeah, sure. So when I was younger, my dad had the old set of the original Creepy Crawlers. Basically, you make your own bugs from this rubber goop. You put them in metal molds, and there's this hot plate. One day, I'm going through a closet, and I find this thing in there. I'm digging around. No one's in the house. And next thing I know, I've got this huge millipede, beetles, and spiders. And I think I'm like six or seven when I find this thing. And I'm scarred for life because I'm inside the closet dark, and there's just bugs um, really, really kind of creepy. <laughs> but the messed up thing about this kit, once you finally get it out, there's this electric hot plate, which is the key to this thing, and you plug this right into the wall socket. So again, I'm six or seven, and I'm plugging this thing into the house. How I don't, how I don't burn the house down, I don't know. So not demonic, but just kind of, you know, insect creepy. <laughs> insect creepy. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. There's plenty of insects in this episode, and uh, yes, uh... I have a pretty predictable reaction to them. <laughs> Mine is a little high pitched, to be honest, man. Like, ah, just, it just makes me feel wrong. No one else can get out of What's yours, Jay? Uh, I got a couple. So, um, so the old fashioned doll where the eyes just roll back in their head all the time. Oh, yeah. It's always the relatives that don't really know you that will buy your sister these dolls. It's like in every scary movie you see, there's like some doll with eyes that roll around in their head. So, of course, my sister had one, and hers also would make baby noises, so it just, it just it was unnerving. And it was once, and honest to goodness, batteries out of the thing, it made some noise. We were like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> wrapped it in tape, threw it in the river, put a rock on it, and did it to come back. <laughs> just done. Done deal. Well, that one was kind of scary, but my, my other one, I, I, I got one more that was the scariest one of all for me, was... The real Afro Ken doll. Sister had a Ken doll that had an actual Afro. And I was just <laughs> like, yes. I've never heard of that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Is, is it the Freddie Boom Boom Washington edition? <laughs> the Jim Kelly edition, bro. <laughs> That's great. It wasn't scary. It was more like Ken doll with fro, but I, I thought that was so not scary. All right. Uh, so, for me, it was Teddy Ruxpin. i didn't actually have a teddy ruxpin but i lived in a household with a kid that did have it and all right it was the way teddy ruxpin looked let me just uh explain what teddy ruxpin is in case our one listener hasn't heard of him teddy ruxpin he had like a compartment in, in uh in his back or something where you put cassettes in and his lips and face would move to the sound of the cassettes and he'd tell you stories and stuff like, he, he, I guess it was like a read-along kind of thing. So his he would kind of like quasi-lip-sync whatever he's saying on the tape. So he moved his face in a very unnatural way, and he had this subdued voice. And if the battery ever ran low, uh, like his, his voice, his voice would pitch down. That's right. <laughs> and, low RD. And sometimes he'd even slow down and freeze at, with his eyes like half-closed. Like, <laughs> ah, F you, Teddy like, Ruxman. F you. I like it. He's like, oh, man, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. All right. You know they did a remake, right? Uh, yeah, there's like a digital Teddy Ruxman now. They're not sure they right now. Yeah, yeah, it just came out. Yeah, he, he's cuter. His eyes are freaky, though, man. Oh, dude, look at it. I don't want to. No, you don't. You look at it, you're like, even on the uh, website. Make me. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me of those eyes in the last episode. Who that picture just followed you. 
Mm, spec. <laughs> Do you ever want to take the tape out of that Teddy Ruxpin, record something of your own, stick it back in, and mess with that kid? Did you try that, RD? Uh, no, no. Still stare at you with those eyes. I know the eyes are really <laughs> crazy. Like, uh... So you guys ready to get into the episode? Absolutely. Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. Okay, so this episode aired on September 19th, 1986. It was written by Tom DeHaven. One Million Emotions was one of three episodes written by Tom DeHaven. And of the remaining two, one of them is a little episode called Galaxy Stranger. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah. There are a few that stand out of my memory from way back 30 years ago. And uh, Galaxy Stranger is right up there, man. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if my fondness for that episode is entirely deserved, but I, I look forward to watching it through adult eyes or man-child eyes, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that one is a ways off. Dude, I've watched it several times already. I couldn't stop myself. I had to watch it just because. That's all right. Spoilers. <laughs> I know. Lots of it. So we're in episode nine, and it's starting now. All right, so the first thing that happens is you're kicked in the pants by the beautiful visuals. You're high above an Earth-like planet. Earthish? Earthy? Man, it looks like Earth. It's blue. <laughs> so uh, there's all this space garbage in orbit, uh, along with a space station that looks just like the one in the beginning of Ghost Station. I think it's the same, isn't it? I think it is Earth, right? I am not sure. They never made it clear. But you see the moon and you see the exact same station and I don't know. I actually have a parenthesis here. Confirm whether it's Earth or not. But <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah, I think, it, I think it is. I don't have the screenshot that I uh, put together handy, but I think it is. You know, but Earth looks a little different than it did in Ghost Station because I don't remember seeing all that space debris and garbage. It's left over from the blown up space station. There you go. It's the leftover stuff. It drifted. Yeah. Okay, so immediately we're greeted by Shane Gooseman's belly aching. Oh. <laughs> He's bummed out about the Rangers being assigned to a security detail, or as he describes it, playing nursemaid to a bunch of pictures. Yeah. May I? Yes, you. Glorified security guards. It's not my idea, Goose, so quit complaining to me. Playing nursemaid to a bunch of pictures. Huh. Wow. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Rabbi Bob. That's right. Tighten up your panties there, Goose. <laughs> Goose is far more surly in this episode than we're accustomed to seeing him. Some might say he's bordering on obnoxious. I would say that. I would agree. I would agree, too, but this writer clearly favored Goose. Yeah. Know? And, you know, he's not as angry as Angry Doc is, but, you know. <laughs> in this episode, Goose has a character arc. Yeah. Where he goes from being uh, miserable to actually cheering up. Well, you know. So uh, Doc chimes in and tells Goose how valuable the museum artifacts are in terms of knowledge and money. And Nico adds that this assignment also has diplomatic value. Right. Go Nagai Goose and his different sized eyes looks unconvinced. <laughs> of course, Goose is still. I love the look on his face. He says he'd rather be chasing smugglers. You know what? Add that to Gooseman's power set. Predicting the future. <laughs> so they land Ranger 1 on the space station. There's a bunch of artsy-fartsy types checking out the exhibits. Uh, the Ranger team is doing the same as Nico drops some knowledge on their punk asses. Yep. She's really knowledgeable. This episode in particular, she has so much to say. She's like, I'm a curator. She knows her stuff. Yeah. Uh, so something catches lame Shane's eye. If he's going to do shit up, I might have to give him a corny nickname. Goose is on thin ice. <laughs> so yeah, something catches Goose's eye. This is a sensation doll, says Nico. 
Sensation doll. Sounds like a toy that would sell really well to like adults. That's yes. all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's, I, I guess I said enough. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say anything because I'm just going to edit it out anyway. So I'm not. I'm you not, know it. I know. <laughs> just, just say it. Hold on. Now that we have Rabbi Bob here, I, I just I want to let you in on a little secret. Jay will complain that I edit him out all the time, but there's very little stuff that I edit out that he says. <laughs> okay. That's gotcha. true. I'm just, just making noise. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true, man. <laughs> He's he's basically messing with our listener, saying that because of RD, you're missing out on all this dirty content that I'm providing. And that's not... The, that's not true. See? Um, okay, so Nico explains that the Sensation Doll is made by one of the Poe mutants. Edgar Allan Poe mutants, it looks like, says Gooseman. There's a major visual cue at this point. As Goose is attempting to be smarmy, watch your step, pal. Uh, you can see a metal spider overhead on a huge web. I'm visualizing the spider and trying not to say anything that's going to get edited out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Nico goes on about how the doll contains, wait for it, one million emotions. This is where the three of us would give a knowing glance into the camera if we were like on Benny Hill or something. Like, right. <laughs> one million emotions. Thank you, Rabbi Bob. <laughs> So Nico says that it contains all these different varieties of sadness, anger, love, etc. And one touch from somebody who's not a Poe, and then Goose interrupts, calling it an emotional electric chair. That doesn't sound like fun. Even if Joy is among that million. So uh, then Doc says it looks alive, and Nico tells him that it kind of is. And this part is important. And that it contains the personality of its maker. She knows so much about this, dude. How does she know it contains a personality? Has she touched one? <laughs> Has she dated a poem mutant before? She knows so much. A hundred emotions. She's like, she's like, I she's tried. psychic. She's touchy feely, <laughs> and I guarantee you, she touched it at some point and probably tried to experience every emotion in one shot. One million emotions. It was great. It was great. <laughs> like she's using it like a drug. I was just thinking that, like a little junkie. Ah, touch it again. I need another hit. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> Go on, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks, Jay. I'm sorry. It's what I do. It's what I do. I take the story off the rails. It kind of would have been interesting to see the Poe mutants and their culture. Because like, they just talk about them. But to see them like as flashbacks or something. Mm. Right, just beyond the doll. Yeah. What, I mean, what do you think they look like? Well, I hear mutants and I think of those big bastards in the Fallout games. Oh, yeah. The scorpion things? Oh, no, no. What? No, the, the big ogre type dudes. Yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Imagine one of those guys as an artist, like a sensitive artist. <laughs> Zach makes a doll and it's got three emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Angry, fuzzy, and what else? <laughs> I don't know. Angry, pompous, and douchey. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Zach says, let's make the rounds. Now that Nico is done with exposition. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we got to go handle this. Now the focus is back on the spider overhead, and you hear a couple of voices, one telling the other to hang tight for three more hours until they can make their move. Time jump! Boy, that was a fast three hours. <laughs> the two dudes emerge from a hatch in the spider's abdomen. You know it was stuffy in there, man. They probably smell like corn chips and rental bowling shoes. <laughs> Dude, what about having to go to the bathroom, though, man? They've been sitting in spider sculpture. Hey, man, they did what they had to do. <laughs> 
So as cramped as it was in there, and as long as they were in there, it didn't slow down Centurion. Centurion. He says, I'll go first. And then he proceeds to make his way onto the resume and demo reel of whatever genius at TMS animated this sequence. <laughs> no kidding, man. He's like... <laughs> he flips and somersaults all the way down the web, and it looks freaking amazing. That's snake eyes. <laughs> snake eyes. He does all that gymnastic stuff, and all without shouting, Power Extreme! <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that too, because you guys were talking about the different art teams that worked at TMS. Yeah. This was the A team that worked on this one. I mean, this beautiful from start to finish. It sure is. It is, absolutely. But one of the interesting things on the background that was happening is in America, they would do the pre-production storyboards here and they would ship them over to Japan. And actually the final details were added over there by TMS. So those things that you would get little nuances and things uh, in the scenes that weren't part of what had left America. So you end up with this hybrid uh, anime American show that came out of it. So. Some of those things that you see in there weren't even really known by the team here until they saw, you know, the production piece of it coming off the, off the line. That must have been like a pretty nice surprise. Yeah, and you get these cool scenes like him yeah. coming down. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the other guy, the one wearing the metal bandana, he just dropped straight down beside him. Boring. Yeah. You get a four, sir. Mix up your routine next time. <laughs> so Centurion has a flashlight built into his glove's thumb. It's oddly cool. And um, Bandana is carrying some kind of box. So uh, clearly their plan is to steal the Tingle doll. Tingle doll. <laughs> <laughs> well, clear. Bandana is wearing these awesome gloves. Tingle doll. <laughs> Ask Nico. <laughs> An accessory no cat burglar would leave home without. Right. His gloves have these cybernetics that run along the top of his hands. His left hand shoots a beam that cuts the doll's glass container, right? <laughs> yep. Pretty cool. But the right hand is why you need these gloves. Zero point energy beam. Oh my goodness. Just like Syndrome in The Incredibles. That's right. Did it bother anyone that he had to use his finger to activate his hand glove? <laughs> what? Did he use his finger? Yeah. <laughs> he comes over and he taps To him. activate the laser. <laughs> you know what? But the laser is more dangerous than the other thing. So I, I, maybe maybe it's a fail safe. It, it makes sense to me because if you're stuck in a giant spider for hours, laser going off would be pretty bad, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you or your buddy are going to lose something. So, guys, this isn't even five minutes into the episode, and I'm already floored by the amount of cool stuff we've seen, like the gloves and all that stuff. Uh, anyway, so they get the vibration doll into the box using zero-point energy beam. Uh, suddenly, two museum security guys show up. This is nuts. Security has them at gunpoint and tells them not to move. Well, they moved. <laughs> Centurion starts busting caps like Doughboy and Boys in the Hood. Yeah. All of this violence is like beautiful to look at, but it's pretty jarring. And here's why. I'll walk you through. So during the shootout, Centurion shoots one guard through his chest. You see the laser hole, and I'm pretty sure he's dead before he hits the ground. <laughs> then the second guard shoots Centurion in the chest. Centurion falls on his back and looks even deader than the guard. Like he's motionless, his eyes are open. What the hell, man? This is the coolest villain we've seen yet. And he's dead in under a minute. He's a red shirt. It's too bad. Yep. So Bandana takes off running with the box. The not-dead security guy is in pursuit and shooting. And then Bandana gets to the exit. When the door's open, he's face-to-face -face with who I thought might be Zachary Jr. So for a brief instant, I thought Zach was about to lose his son. But no, it's just a generic beta employee. No, it's the guy who was on the space station with the woman who was <laughs> Oh, really? With the Southern Belle? Yeah, it's him, man. No, it's him. It's the same dude. Yep. All right. Oh, that's funny. 
we're better art, of course, but still. But either way, I was worried for nothing because he doesn't die. The bandana only smacks him in the head with the metal case, leaving him alive. Possibly brain damaged, but alive. I, I wanna, I gotta make some real quick then. Since the beginning of this whole episode, and we're only like maybe six or seven minutes into this, the amount of eye movement and facial expression in this episode is nuts. It's really cool to see. Like, you see when people look left. I mean, eye movement. You can see stubble on a bandana. You see, like, actual stubble, like little spots. That someone took their time to work that all into a picture of him. It's just amazing i love the art in this episode yeah there's there's plenty of shading yep. lighting yes like when they emerge from the spider's abdomen there's like a red light coming from within and you can see they're underlit yeah it's pretty dope mm -hmm. it's pretty cool it's pretty cool very technical in their approach to this one okay so so uh what's his name bandana escapes yeah now on to the curator a stuffy older gentleman with an upper crust accent telling the cleanup crew to be careful with the fragments of what was a sculpture. Then he goes over to the non-dead security guy, who was just questioned by the rangers, and he lays into him. How could you let this happen? And the security guy says, Hey, I just watched my best friend die for your stupid artifacts. He was a good guy, loved his family, was kind to animals, and he was a poet. Did you know that? Of course not, because all you care about is... And then Zachary interrupts him. Uh, he didn't say all that. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the museum curator reminded me of the hotel manager from the original Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> it's right, that jerk. Just his look and his approach. <laughs> I'm not paying you. That jerk. I got your pay right here, buddy. So Zach interrupts him. He, he asks if there was any ID on the thief that was stopped. Stopped? He was stopped, all right. His name was Centurion, stopped. and I'm pretty sure he's a little more than stopped. All right, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Zach is mad because he didn't get to shoot him. Yeah, trigger happy Zach, baby. That's right. He was like, dang. He's like a white shaft. <laughs> <laughs> He's just waiting to pop somebody. Meanwhile, Nico is doing her psychic thing on the glass case that used to hold the Yum Yum doll. Uh -huh. Her spider sense tells her that the metal spider is uh, how the thieves got in. Touchy-feely Nico. Goose climbs up the web. The curator protests and is ignored. It turns out the spider just arrived the previous morning on a shuttle from Mars. The artist, Arizona McGee, lives on a colony there. Then an alarm goes off and Zack says, Come on, sounds like somebody's trying to leave. Cut to the ship launching. Somebody did leave. The rangers arrive at the launch bay and a worker in a beta issue future jumpsuit runns over to them yelling, He escaped! And Rabbi Bob, I believe you have a sound clip of that. Listen, guys, I wasn't armed and he was. I don't get paid enough to be a hero. Wow. Oh, he says that after Doc gets all judgy. Yeah. <laughs> Doc is like, you let him go? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Angry Doc. He was like, you didn't stop him? This could have been easy. I could be back at home playing with my little box of programs. <laughs> I got a yum yum doll of my own. <laughs> yes. The guy doesn't get paid enough to be a hero, he says. So... Beta is cheap. Good to know. I guess. You know, they only pay for mustache and eyebrow wax. That's why. And Funyuns. <laughs> so Goose takes a tally of all the crazy stuff that's happened. Now he's happy. Centurion and bad shot poet security guy are dead. Um, hapless Zack Jr. lookalike gets concussed and is dribbling into his frosted flakes. But whatevs. <laughs> you know, at least Goose isn't bored anymore. Now cut to Mars. Bandana is toting his big metal case all over uh, some seedy neighborhood. 
As usual, the, the locale is gorgeous and detailed. There's graffiti, trash, and architecture that looks, um, I don't know, maybe Moroccan-inspired? What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, Egyptian, maybe. Mm-hmm. The world definitely looks lived in, though. It reminded me of the old Genesis game, Shadowrun. Oh, yeah. I, I played the hell out of that game. We did. We absolutely did. So, Bandana makes his way to an apartment, presumably his home. As he's making his way to the apartment there, the background music that's going on while he's getting there is, is just amazing. and It's awesome. It's so cool in this series how you get backing tracks that are better than most of the upfront music you get in any other cartoon. Yeah. You know, with the exception of maybe title songs and maybe Gem and the Holograms. But the... Uh... Oh, dude. I didn't even <laughs> say that. I love the show. I love Gem and the Holograms. I'm going to say it. But the music here, like the you know the interstitial stuff, is is amazing and is is better than most of the, the stuff you hear in any other series. So Miller's making his way to his apartment here. And it's just fun stuff that they play, and you, you don't get the sort of quality music in, in other shows. This is true, man. So Bandana is startled to see two people waiting for him on the inside. There's Mr. Subtract who is sitting and looking boss-like. Jackie Subtract. Jackie Subtract. This is the first time he's introduced, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the first time you see him. Okay. And then there's a big dude at the edge of the screen wearing tidy whities He's most likely the muscle because, you know, he's got muscle. <laughs> and a wedgie. So, so Mr. Subtract is feeding his giant pet alien roach. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me... Gah. Gah. <laughs> and he's demanding answers from Bandana. Then Bandana says, they got Sanderson. Mm, nope. I'm going to stick with Centurion if it's all the same with you guys. <laughs> all right. Giant Roach, man. Oh, my lord, dude. This kid. Mr. Subtract is okay with Centurion being dead. Because he has a pet roach. Something's wrong with that guy. He has a pet roach. Uh, yeah, I know, man. I'm, I'm aware. No, he has a pet roach. <laughs> the pet roach plays a big role in this episode. But it's a pet roach, man. <laughs> Just, you spend all your life trying to not be around roaches. Everybody. There's nobody that wants a roach. There's nothing in that sentence that makes me happy. (laughs) Why would he just have Because you know, what's his house look like? Yeah, so he's just happy that he has the tickle doll. And he tells Bandana, whom he calls Miller for some dumb reason, uh, to open the case so he can see what it looks like. Now, clearly unable to read the situation, (laughs) Bandana opens the box and asks for the money that he was promised. Suddenly, Tidy Whitey Muscle Guy is behind Bandana and forces him to touch the doll. Yeah, see? I always found it interesting how this series had themes and imagery that were disturbing. And later in the series, you guys are going to come across an episode that gave my kids nightmares. But right now, for this particular episode, Miller's scream was just scarring. Hey, no, no, stop! Yeah. What the hell is that doing in a cartoon? And the imagery was pretty know, bad, man. too. I know some dude in tidy whinies rolling up on your back. It's just not right. <laughs> in your apartment. It's like, you're going to touch it. What? Wait a minute. I don't want to do this. Step away from me. I'll touch the doll. Can you show me on the doll where he made you touch the doll? I was just going to go there. Show me on the sensation doll where he... <laughs> oh, it's wrong. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it seems that Mr. Subtract has decided that his payment is the emotional electric chair. So meanwhile, the Rangers have arrived on Mars, and Goose is complaining about uh, all the giant bugs around them. 
I won't hold this belly aching yeah. against him. Because... <laughs> Me either, dude. I would be totally yeah. gunned out, shooting at everything. That would be me all day, RV. I couldn't live there because I'd be an exterminator. They'd be like, I would be the richest dude on that planet. Because they'd be like, what's this dude packing? Why is he always strapped? I would be always out of ammo. <laughs> right? Dude, I would be like forever shooting. You wouldn't get anything done like with all the shooting that you'd be doing. You'd wither away. You'd forget to eat. <laughs> so Nico explains that they're bugs that stowed away on Earth ships. So they multiplied and I guess mutated into massive some bitches. They arrive at Arizona McGee's spot and start looking around. All of her sculptures are of giant bugs. Judging by that alone, I am opposed to everything about her. Yeah. <laughs> she already makes me angry. Then she appears. Arizona appears, shouting, Miller, is that you? And she's a little old lady holding a blowtorch. So Miller, a.k.a. Bandana the Doll Toucher, is her helper. <laughs> He lugs scrap metal around, and she turns it into sculptures. Right. She reveals that he delivered the spider to the art show at Beta Space Station. And uh, Doc asks if she knows where he lives. And she takes a close look at his badge. What's a Galaxy Ranger? It's interesting to me that the badges actually have it written yeah. on them. I thought that was just, like, for the show. In between scenes. Right. Who are you? Obviously, there's no funding for the marketing department either for Galaxy Rangers. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so she brings him to his apartment. Goose smashes the door in. Again, beautifully animated. Inside, they find Miller curled up on the floor. And uh, Nico says he touched the doll. And Goose repeats the emotional electric chair line. First, uh, he's crying. Then he's seething with anger. Then overwhelmed with rage. And then he charges at them. Arizona slaps the crap out of him. <laughs> <laughs> she can't lug heavy sculptures, but she can lay out a lunatic in a heartbeat. No doubt. That's right. She's just like, pap. But, you know, maybe maybe that was their relationship, though. <laughs> Dominant submissive. Put the mash on him. He sat his butt right down. Easy. Yeah, so once he hits the ground, he starts whimpering in fear. Yep. And uh, he tells them what he did and that Jackie Subtract hired him to do it. So now Nico is in disguise and talking to an alien pimp. <laughs> his eyes are half shut and they blink independently. <laughs> and he's smoking the whole time. Now... First of all, somebody smoking in a cartoon is unheard of now. Right. This really stood out to me. And I want to I wanna pause here to ask you guys if um, this character seems familiar at all. Oh, wait a second. You're not thinking of the, uh, uh, the birds, the black ones, the, uh, the raven. No, no, no. You know? The magpies? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Okay. I know later on in the series you'll see this guy again. He looks like something from Felix the Cat. Uh, what I'm thinking of is not a cartoon. Oh. Oh, dude, no. No, it's not. No, no, not Jar Jar Binks. No. No. All right, here we go. In Kill Bill Volume 2, Uma Thurman meets an old Mexican pimp, played by the late, great Michael Parks, who tells her where to find Bill. That's this bird alien. I have no doubt in my mind about it. I think Michael Parks based his performance on this bird alien pimp from a decades-old cartoon. There you go. <laughs> guess everybody gets the material from somewhere. He's gone, so we can't ask him. We'll never know for sure. But <laughs> but it's so clear. When you see them side by side, when you see a side by side comparison, which I will be putting in the show notes, I'm going to put these pictures up side by side. <laughs> okay. And you're going to see it. I'm telling you, you're going to fall over. <laughs> Anyways, um, so. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right. So back to the story. Uh, Nico asked the pimp about stealing a Mars ruby. 
and he tells her that she should talk to Mr. Subtract. And then he gives her the exact street address. What a helpful pimp. <laughs> so it's cut to all the rangers outside Subtract's building. They all go in different directions with Zachary scaling the fire escape. Wait, wait, wait. Let me go back. Yeah, go ahead. How did, how did she know this dude? What dude? The pimp. What happened is Bandana told her that everybody knows Jackie Subtract and where he is. So she just went up to like the first person that she saw, I guess. You believe that, man? Nico talking about. All right. Well, okay. So Nico used to be a whore. Okay. Maybe. Well, she might still be. Who knows? She just would she? She had this outfit with her all of a sudden. Hey, if she's psychic, she knows what you want. So <laughs> she exactly that works out. Hey, did you guys ever see that um photograph of a hooker leaning into a car window and she's like, "Hey, daddy, what you need?" And she goes, "Hey, what are what are you guys?" And it shows the interior of the car. And it's like uh, Lion-O and Panthro. And they're like, Thundercats, ho! (laughs) 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 Horrible, horrible, horrible. (laughs) Okay, so the Rangers are all outside of the building. They go in different directions. Zachary climbs the fire escape. And uh, Mr. Subtract is in his office, stroking his roach. (laughs) Any way you want to take that is equally disgusting. (laughs) <laughs> this dude, man, it's a roach. He's a pet roach. Ah, and he puts it on the floor, dude. So tidy whitey muscle guy comes in and announces <laughs> Nico to Mr. Subtract, saying some lady wants to see him. And uh, I want to point out how great all the Jackie Subtract scenes look. Like, he's always lit with um, light shining through window blinds. Right. It, it makes for, like, a very film noir atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyways, Subtract already knew Nico was after some ruby. So that bird pimp was more helpful than we thought. But then Nico says that she's actually looking for the coochie doll. (laughs) Well said. The way Nico delivers that line is the creepiest thing taken out of context. (laughs) What really interests me is a little doll. She's creepy. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) I told you. She's not even flinching at the roach, man. You notice that? Mm. She didn't flinch. She put it down on the floor. She wasn't flinching before. They were, like, encountering all these other bugs throughout the whole colony. Because she knows the neighborhood, dude. Yeah, she's a little too familiar with that neighborhood, right? That's what I'm saying. You notice? She has history. Mm-hmm. She definitely has history. Like, before you became a galaxy ranger, what did you do? She's like, what didn't I do? She was a companion. <laughs> I'm mixing my space cowboy sci-fi. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so once Nico says that she's looking for the doll, Subtract hits a button under his desk. Using his roach-stroking finger. Tidy whitey muscle dude and human bebop <laughs> rush into the room. I got that too. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, Nico ninja kicks the dog shit out of tidy whiteys, shattering his sunglasses. Human bebop looks scared. And then subtract calls for more goons, yelling, I need some help in here. So, Doc walks up behind human bebop and Zach smashes in through the window. Human Bebop starts to pull a huge handgun, but Doc quickly disarms him, leaving Bebop stumbling around the room. Then Zack finishes him off with a right hook. So, needless to say, all of it is superbly animated once again. Uh, Subtract hits another button under his desk. This time, the trap door opens, and his uh, chair sinks into it, allowing him and his ugly-ass roach pet to escape the rangers. So, Nico says that uh, if he takes the back exit, he'll run right into Gooseman. Cut to subtract, 
running through a dark corridor carrying Crumb, the cringe-inducing lap bug. <laughs> Roach! Crumb's leash wraps around Subtract's leg, making him fall and drop the hideous bug. Uh, he calls her to come back, her, ugh, but realizes he's surrounded by giant roaches and Crumb is lost in the crowd. There's my point. Where there's one, there's many. Yeah, Just nasty, nasty. I just can't. I couldn't, man. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I'd be some. I'd be a pansy behind Galaxy Ranger, <laughs> like in the next scene, which I will point out in a minute. So when Subtract gets outside, he's chased by Gooseman. He tries climbing a ladder to escape, but Goose shoots the ladder, causing Subtract to land on his back. Then Goose jumps on him. It's like uh, he's about to ground and pound him. Yeah. But suddenly Crumb appears, and Subtract sicks her on Gooseman, and she latches onto his leg. Uh, Crumb's attack doesn't physically harm Goose, but it does F with his head. He's like a trained roach, and then he dry heaves for like eight minutes. <laughs> so when it started walking towards him, the look on his face, yep. so then when it jumped on his leg. I'm right there I with you, Goose. <laughs> so why is it the surliest of the Galaxy Rangers is the one that's freaked out the most at Giant Roach? Genetically engineered to be a superhero. Has two guns. You know, he's not really afraid of the roach. He's just, like, creeped out by him. He picks the thing up, and he's, like, threatening it. Like, I will squash this bug within my hands. With his twitching eyebrows. Did you catch his twitching <laughs> eyebrows? <laughs> oh, that must have been him straining. Yeah. He's, like, just on the verge of cracking its exoskeleton. You hear an inside voice. <laughs> oh, my God! I'm looking a roach! <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, Goose picks up Crumb and threatens to squash the bug if Mr. Subtract doesn't tell him where the O-Face doll is. And <laughs> Mr. Subtract begs for Crumb's life and tells him he stole the doll <laughs> for some collection. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> that was I, man. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm almost there. Hold on. I need a minute. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. This is why I want to listen to this. Oh, I have tears right now. <laughs> you know why you're crying about this podcast? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> the emotional electric chair. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. So Jackie Subtract begs for Crumb's life and tells him he stole the doll for some collector on Earth. As they fly to Earth, Doc reveals that he Googled this collector and found that whatever he wants, he buys, and whatever he can't buy, he steals. There's a long trail of items that he's had stolen that made their way through Tortuna into Earth. New Jersey, to be exact. Is it really Jersey? Yeah, Goose says, so he's from New Jersey? <laughs> no, says Doc, he owns New Jersey. Uh, I've got this one. He owns New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Doc. And also, F you, Doc. Yeah, so I... <laughs> uh, I don't know how I feel about that. So, so I'm not sure if they're making fun of New Jersey here. I was born and raised in New Jersey. I reside there now. Which exit? Not saying. <laughs> I got you. De Haven's from New Jersey. I guess they're not because De Haven's from New Jersey. He's in the future, so the aliens going to own all of you. <laughs> Uncool, right? 
Right, I know. <laughs> so as the rangers arrive, the collector sits in a garden surrounded by tall sculptures being waited on by his butler, Peters. So the collector is revealed to be Grappo. He was the middleman in Smuggler's Run. Remember him? He was trying to steal the Super Troopers' juice. Anyway, Grappo is admiring how ugly yet beautiful the Whoopi doll is. And the butler just keeps giving him a monotone, if you say so, sir. If you say so, sir. There you go. <laughs> uh, then he alerts his boss that intruders have landed and they're headed their way. So Peter sounds like a defeated man who hates his job. Well, if you technically if you think about it, though, then if he's working for the guy that owns the entire state, he's kind of high up food chain now. I suppose. He's just like, whatever, sir, whatever you want, sir. So, but in turn, he gets everything he wants. All right. If you're the manservant of the most powerful guy in the state, you're still a manservant. <laughs> this is true, man. You're somebody's manservant. Yes, yes, yes. But you have the authority to do all this other stuff. You can go to this guy's name. Uh, what the hell's his name? Peters. Uh, you just made Peters. <laughs> you just made Peters very contemptible. He is. Every time he say whatever you want, sir, he's like, as soon as this dude goes to bed, so I guarantee you this party's all night. <laughs> so Grappo isn't worried that, that the rangers are headed his way. He devours an apple like in a second and then tosses the core at uh, one of the surrounding sculptures. A motion detector is triggered and lasers shoot from the swan's eyes. Obviously, the entire path to Grappo is rigged with similar traps. So as the rangers stroll through the garden, Nico's spider sense tingles. Then a lion sculpture springs to life and attacks. <clears throat> it attacks Gooseman, of course. Clearly, Gonagai Goose's hair made the sculpture think that there was a rival lion that needed handling. It's <laughs> true. Goose kicks himself free before the three count. And Zachary does the show's very first quick draw thunderbolt. The lion is shattered to pebbles. It's a curveball shot, too. Watch this. Yeah, scene. it is. Yeah. It actually leaves a trail along the ground. It does. So uh, suddenly the remaining sculptures open fire on them. The rangers make a break for it and encounter some living vines, which they promptly crawl under. Then they get attacked by fire entities. They're like shape-changing masses of fire that come after them. Uh, so Zach immediately figures out that their source is a fountain just ahead. He tells the team to focus on the fountain, and they open fire, so to speak. Let's talk about the vines for a second, man. So, this guy creates all these traps, right? Yep. He didn't think to make the vines long enough to catch people crawling along the ground. I don't know. <laughs> Come on, man. It was stupid. On my notes, I have the opposite side of that. Next time, land the ship a bit closer and use the turrets to clear the way. Oh, no joke. Smart. Here we go. <laughs> well done. So, uh, they all open fire to blow up the fire fountain. And uh, then Grappa waves his chicken leg and says, My fire fountain! And um, Peters again delivers his deadpan, If you say so, sir. In other words, I don't give two flying fits fart for you. <laughs> whatever you got going on, dude. <laughs> Doc and Zachary unexpectedly get captured by Bubble Yum. Willy Wonka's factory. Zach tells Nico and Goose to go on without them. Go without them, we'll eat our way out. <laughs> Doc, start chewing. Chew this. <laughs> so um, Doc's wheels start turning and he points out a nearby tree. Uh, meanwhile, Goose shows off his dual laser pistol badassery and takes out some laser swans. And Nico gets a good look at the collector and realizes it's Grappo and that he's got the doll. She reminds Goose not to touch it. 
So cut to Doc and Zach using a tree to stretch their bubble yum restraints in two different directions. Doc's idea works and they break free. Uh, then they're left with like Pepto residue all over their uniforms. Wasn't this stuff kind of alive? It kind of attacked them. Yeah, at first, and then it just like became glue or whatever. So Doc makes some wisecrack about dry cleaning, but we all know what he really meant was, um, yep. this is all your fault, Zach. So <laughs> it's, like, it's like, they will get my dry cleaning bill, meaning you will get my dry cleaning bill. <laughs> uh, so now Nico and Goose have grapple at gunpoint. Grapple orders Peters to get rid of him. Uh, Peters strolls over to Goose. Goose growls and still monotone. Uh, Peters says, I quit, sir. And then he walks away. That's right. We're not doing this. <laughs> so desperate, Grapple tries to bribe them. Goose says, don't make me mad. We're here for the Bang Bang doll. <laughs> <laughs> and Grapple says, you can't have it. It's mine. And he wraps his arms around it. The doll overloads him and he reels back. The doll goes flying through the air. A perfect spiral and arc heading straight to Nico's arms. Who was more than ready to grab it. Yeah. She was like, give it to me, give it to me. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> mine, mine, <She's>... mine. <laughs> mine? Like a seagull? She's talking about the old face doll. She was like, I want this. So out of nowhere, Goose dives in and catches it. And then Nico slaps him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's like, it's a beautiful interception. The crowd is on its feet. Except for Nico. <laughs> Zach says, Goose! And Gooseman stands holding the doll for a moment. It's having a different effect on him. Then he gets color palette swapped and passes out. So after a light show, Goose awakens to see the team standing over him. And uh, Doc asks how he feels, and Goose replies, I feel wonderful. Then he tells the doll to go to sleep, my masterpiece. Doc doesn't understand why Goose isn't a babbling mess like Grappo. And Nico explains that his bio defenses allowed him to absorb all one million emotions without overloading. So for a short while... But he didn't touch his badge. He does have the powers anyway, though. Yeah. I listened to the commentary track on that part, and um, they were still flushing out some of his powers at that point. Okay. Okay. Cool. Like, they already have their powers, right? So the badges just enhance them? Right. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so Nico explains that his biodefenses allowed him to absorb the one million emotions without overloading. Uh, so for a short while, the Poe mutant's life force was contained inside Gooseman. And then Doc asks Goose what it was like to experience one million emotions. And Goose downplays it and says that as a super trooper, anger is as emotional as he gets. And then the doll winks at him. And tra-la-la-la-la. It is. <laughs> he gave the doll a hickey. <laughs> Doll's like, I'll see you later. <laughs> Call me. Call me. <laughs> Call me. Long time. Call me. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that was a rough chuckle fest that happened. <laughs> people playing with dolls. People saying creepy stuff about dolls. <laughs> Talking with pimps. Playing with roaches. Playing with roaches. Jeez, man. <laughs> They ruined Mars for me. No kidding, dude. I would never go to Mars, ever. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine I get bed bugs now? Oh, man. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> Let's see. There you go. You're like, yep, going to Mars. Yep. You should get the non-porous, hyperandrogenic bed sheets. What is that? It's a force field and two cannons outside your spot. <laughs> and you have turrets that sit at the foot of your bed. 
Sentry guns. Imagine mosquitoes. No. <laughs> ZZs. <laughs> All right, so ready to close it out? Yeah, 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 sure. All right, let's do our sign off. Okay, listener, that was One Million Emotions. And next episode, we're going to be doing episode 10, titled Trash. It's trash with two A's. I want to thank our special guest host, Rabbi Bob, for joining us today and bringing his vast knowledge to the table. Thanks, Rabbi Bob. If you say so, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. Would you like to tell our one listener how to get a hold of you online? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can find me on Twitter at at Rabbi Bob. Fantastic. So tune in next time. Check us out on Twitter. We're at Galaxy underscore Rangers. We're also on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review us. We'll beat up your childhood bully. Too much of a commitment? Fine. Just do one or two of those things. But the bully will have to be under five feet tall. And must not have a roach. If there's a roach involved, like that deal is out the window. Visit our website, series6podcast.com, the number six. Send us feedback. You can email us at galaxyrangers at email.com. Galaxy Rangers, no space at email. Not Gmail, E. Because... All three of us are excellent. We've been your hosts. I'm RD. And I'm Jay, who is Roach Free. And I'm Rabbi Bob. And two-thirds of us will see you next time. Disengage your freaking (laughs) hyperdrives. Bye. Bye. Rages are forever. (laughs) (laughs) Was that from Office Space, right? It was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I showed up my O-Face. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know why that was awesome. In the near future, Doc Terror and his cyborg companion hacker unleash their forces to conquer Earth. Only one force can stop this evil, a handful of brave men. In specially created exobrains, they can be transported anywhere to fuse with incredible assault weapon systems being down from the space station sky vault. Becoming man and machine, power extreme. Max Ray, brilliant sea operations commander. Jake Rockwell, rugged land operations specialist. Ace McLeod, daring air operations expert. Whatever the challenge, they are ready. Centurion!